0: And welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world, classical education, uh, put on by three guys who are classicists in a classical wow. school who know stuff that they are transmitting to news- you so that you should know. I'm are trying to change it up. classicists. Us, wow. is, That's not the right thing? We That's got it's, an overstatement. Right. We got a promotion. That's teachers. A, wow. Yeah. Um, give bite-sized classical tidbits for the fast-paced modern world.
1: Wow. But these podcasts are usually like an hour okay, long. Okay, so those are <laughs> yeah. All right. They're
0: not bite it's, it's a mouthful.
1: Yeah, that's
0: it. Um, well, yeah. regardless of how we introduce it. <laughs> um, we thank you for listening and tuning in. Today, we're going to take you on a journey. Mm. One may even say an odyssey.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Hannenberg is not responding. He' is our fearless captain. He has tied himself to a pole in the middle of the classroom um, with, and he's plugged his ears. I'm not quite sure why that is, yeah. uh, but maybe he's going to tell us. My this problem with these pun <laughs> intros is that... They the only point sense. of this podcast
2: <laughs> is to tell our audience about the Odyssey, oh, and they only get it if they already know the Odyssey. <laughs> think of it
0: as like a little Easter egg or like yeah. a
2: little tidbit of the already initiated, so that they can. Feel so to get it, they have to listen, listen to our twice. podcast and then go back yeah. and listen to your introduction. All you—if you read a book once, you've never read it. That's exactly right. If so you all these podcasts
0: to a podcast once you've never listened to it, but to really plumb the depths of the podcast, mm-hmm. it requires multiple. Listens.
1: How many times have you listened to each episode?
2: Usually just one. Okay, great. (laughs) You've hardly listened at all. Speaking of listening, I've been listening to our podcast a little bit. I know Graham listens for quality, and I know you also listen for quality, at least on the most part. And, you know, we get some things wrong and we address that at the end of the podcast. But Graham and I were talking, and both of us feel inadequate to this task that we're doing, at least to a certain extent, right? I listen back and I think, oh, there's a thing I should have known that I don't know that's kind of on the edges of my topic and or I don't know it quite as thoroughly as I need to. And I know Graham has the same experience every once in a while. We ask a question and he just doesn't know. It happened in the House of Atreus episode to me. It happens in a lot of the episodes that I'm in charge of. And it's it's a little embarrassing, but I don't know that avoiding... <laughs> that that there's a good way to avoid it, right? Part of jumping into the classical world is being comfortable with not knowing absolutely everything.
1: Exactly.
2: As a classical scholar, you are, at least a little bit, a generalist, right? You want to know about these things, but knowing absolutely everything about the Iliad and the Odyssey is impossible. Yeah, it's well it's it's probably possible, but only if I had a yeah. PhD and, and that studied. was all
1: you did. And you would only
2: know the Odyssey, mm-hmm. right? Isn't right. That? And yeah. that's not the point of jumping into classical education. It's knowing it's knowing these stories enough to bring all of the ideas together, right? And so yes, we are amateurs, at least to it at least you know, to an extent. And I hope you as an audience aren't disappointed with when we say we just don't know we are trying to bring you into the classical world in the same way that we jump into the classical world. And that is with a little bit of boldness and a little bit of (laughs) failure and a little bit of being okay with not knowing everything and not understanding it to, you know, the 100% degree that you would get from say a PhD in in the classics, but then you miss all of the, the breadth of the knowledge that you could have, right? Most classic, classic scholars were generalists mm-hmm. they knew a little bit of math they knew a little bit of art they knew a little bit of music they knew a little bit of gymnastics right. they knew a little bit of everything and that's what we're trying to help you do when you come into the world and that's what we're trying to do ourselves so i'm sorry audience if we ever you know bump up against the edges of our knowledge but that's just part of trying to do so many disparate topics is
0: yeah. think of our failures as an abil- as uh, inspiration for you to, to <laughs> dive in and not have to feel like you have everything that- under your belt
1: yeah. I don't know if the goal of this podcast is to – so we could get here, we could get on this podcast and we could read Wikipedia articles to you all day and mm-hmm. provide you more information. But I don't think that's what – I don't think that would be a good use of anyone's time. Like um, I think part of what we provide here is that we love these things that we're talking about. And so I don't know. I'd rather that catch on than you learn 87 facts about the Odyssey. I click on that. You, would you read that? Yeah. 87 facts. 87 crazy things. You won't believe what happens
2: next. Man, I love those. <clears throat> excuse me. I love those Dipply articles. Yeah. I just, it's it's almost all Facebook has for ads for me now. It's just like 20 crazy things celebrity tweeted, and I'm like, oh yes, celeb tweets. <laughs> uh, it's just what I Give do. Give me that sweet, sweet trash. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's just a way to rot my brain, and I I love it. Did. Did someone reach out about that, or is that just something y'all been Oh, we just
0: sort of had a thought. We were just we thinking, like... We were talking like,
2: about it, and we didn't want... You know, it's kind of embarrassing to run a podcast where you're like, <laughs> I don't know, when why people that, ask questions.
1: I don't know if it is. Like, again, you all enjoy these things, and you teach these things to the students. Like, I don't know. I think there's value in the passion you all have for it and what you all know. I don't know. You don't have to know everything about these topics for them to be useful or interesting.
2: Yeah. Anyway... Just as an audience, so we're sorry that we don't know okay, everything. I great. guess
1: okay.
2: that's what I'm apologizing for. Seems like a for. huge thing to apologize for. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit of hubris. To be like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know don't everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, today I wanted to talk about the Odyssey. We talked last, you know, recording session. We had Dante, and then a, a while before that, I did an intro to the epics, and I wanted to jump a little bit further into the Odyssey because it's one of those foundational books that it's just sort of generally important to to know and understand what's going on there and how it has affected other literature coming from it. So I'm going to give a quick summary, and then I'm going to talk about uh, Campbell's hero's journey, yeah. which has been translated into Star Wars yeah. and uh, a few other things. I think it's Joseph Campbell. Yep. And and then I'm going to talk about the golden bowl theory, which sounds funny, yes. and it is a so, little funny, okay. but we'll, we'll get there. So the basic summary of... The Odyssey, what what you probably are familiar with is only four chapters of the Odyssey, right? As sort of a layperson, we all get the travels of Odysseus, but that's only four chapters of the book. It's a small portion, and it's where it's kind of the good part. All the action happens. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple other good spots where lots of people die and get murdered, and that's fun. But really, the journey only takes about four of the 24 chapters of the entire Odyssey. So where the book begins is not with Odysseus at all. We don't meet him until chapter five. Mm. The book begins at home where his son, Telemachus, that he left at home when he journeyed off to war. He hasn't seen Telemachus since Telemachus was but a babe, Mm. right? He was a tiny child. And so he went off to war. And when he left, he took his wife, Penelope, and he said, listen, once my son grows a beard, if I'm not home, you marry another man, Mm. Right, which could happen around, what, 15, 16? Sure. I, I don't understand physiology. <laughs> this is another one of those things that I don't Depends fully know. Depends on the kid, know. actually. You know? Sure, it Depends does, on yeah. the kid. Yeah, I think some some start growing full beards by, we've like, 8th grade. we had
0: freshmen, yeah, who are, like, I mistake for janitors.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we don't have janitors, yeah. so that's a big... That's <laughs> the weirder part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still can't grow a beard. It's embarrassing. I get patchy. You grow, you have I have a goatee. Right yeah. That's all that grows. Oh, I really? Get, like, so if you two, don't shave, it just... I haven't shaved. Oh. What you are seeing is non-shaved. <laughs> I get a, pat, a patch here and a patch here, and they're it's, lopsided it's, on my face. It's fascinating. It's not a good look. <laughs> anyway, so we start with Telemachus, and he, it kind of opens with him daydreaming in his house about his dad and just sort of sitting there. And what we find out is that in Odysseus's absence, because he's been 10 years at war, and that's what sort of the Iliad is about, is that war, and then he, we find out later, he's been about 10 years coming home. So he's been gone for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Penelope probably knows that the war has ended, and he is still gone. Because other heroes have probably trickled home. Yeah, other heroes have returned. Nestor, an old fella, has returned, and he's kind of nearby. Menelaus, one of the great kings, has returned. Here's, he's kind of nearby. And then Agamemnon returned and got murdered by his wife, which we talked about in the house of Atreus. All of that's happened, and most most of the Greeks have, know that it has happened, mm-hmm. and Odinus. Odysseus is nowhere to be found. He is yet gone. So she is beset with 114 suitors wow. who are in her house vying for her hand in marriage. And I know a lot of my ninth grade girls are like, oh, if only. <laughs> right? They are. They're thinking, oh, that wouldn't that be fantastic, having 114 guys vying for my hand. But they're, like, wrecking the house, aren't they? Eating all the, eating all the food. And-, and that's the problem. We These
0: may- are 114 guys who have not been able to get married yet. So oh. they're probably not the cream of the crop.
2: <laughs> sure. Well, some of them are young, mm-hmm. and you have to you have to think that they aren't the guys that went to war with Odysseus. Mm-hmm. Right? So they probably weren't the able-bodied men that were in Ithaca at the time. Ithaca is the island that Odysseus is r- rules as king. And they're, they're nearby lords, and they all come and vie for her hand, and she has delayed marriage mm-hmm. by telling them all I will marry somebody after I finish a funeral shroud mm. for Odysseus's father, Laertes, who is old and he's sleeping in the vineyard and he's being real mopey and so he's probably gonna die soon because he's really <laughs> sad that Odysseus is gone. Yeah. He's kind of treating himself like a homeless person mm. and not like the king that he is, or at least the father of the king. And she says, Once I'm done with it, I'll marry somebody. But every night she unweaves her progress. <laughs> And takes all the threads out so that man, the guys are like, Man, you are the slowest weaver ever. I swear it was right there yesterday. And she's like, it just takes time, you guys. And the problem with having 114 suitors in your house is you gotta feed all those guys. They have been drinking Odysseus's wine, eating Odysseus's cattle, using all of his resources. They've been abusing the wait staff mm. or sleeping with the weight oh. staff, even as they vie for her hand. Mm-hmm. And they and she knows this. She mm. knows that they're just sort of abusing her hospitality. She can't kick them out. And Telemachus, who should be the man, you know, wearing the pants in this situation, mm-hmm. he should be in charge of his house, isn't. Mm-hmm. He's sort of moping around. He's a, he's a young child. We get the impression that the Young child, he's probably like 21 by now. He's supposed to be around 20 or 21, but it feels, when, we, when it opens, like he's like 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. So he's not really acting the age that he is, and at least he's not taking control of his mm-hmm. house. And while we have wealth laid up in bank accounts... Their wealth was almost entirely in flocks. So the longer those men are there, the poorer Penelope gets. Mm-hmm. Right, Every, Her house is being decimated. The phrase they use is bleeding my house white. Mm. And these, the first four books is known among scholars as the Telemachy. It's like a mini epic for Telemachus. Because in, in the first couple of books, Athena shows up pretending to be somebody else and says, I know about your dad. He's coming home. Mm. What you need to do is try to kick these suitors out. Go find out some news about your dad. So he calls a council, says, all you suitors should get out of my house. And even some of the neighbors are like, yeah, you suitors are being pretty shameful about this. And the suitors stand up and they pretty much say, what are you going to do about it? Like, do you have the force to kick us out? No. No. Uh, until your mom chooses somebody, we're going to stay here and eat all your food, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so Telemachus bursts into tears oh, in the council. In front of everyone? Yeah, no. throws no. the talking stick on the ground. It's not, again, not a good look, just yeah. like my beard. It's not a good, <laughs> it doesn't look good on him. Yeah, And so he sneakily gets a crew together and then goes to visit Nestor and Menelaus to find out news about his dad. Mm. And so he takes a little journey, and for him it's a journey of growth. What he sees when he's, at these other two kingdoms is with Nestor. It's a king with his sons, and the sons respect their father. His armies are all well arrayed, and they are giving sacrifices to the gods. So he sees a well-run, pious kingdom, which he's never seen before. Yeah. And then at Menelaus's house, he sees a wealthy king who has gotten his goods by war and a good marriage, strangely enough, because hmm. Helen has returned and is now with Menelaus, and she's like, huh, I was such a... Hmm. I'm sorry for this, but she's like, I was such a whore back then. I was... She says that? Yeah. She's like, what a silly girl I was. And they start telling stories about who Odysseus was. So as he travels, he sees a well-run kingdom, a good marriage, and material rewards Mm. gained by glory. And also gets stories about his dad. Mm. And everyone recognizes him. They're like, you look just like him. You're the spitting image. And so inspires him with stories about Mm. his father that will hopefully mean that he returns home and takes control of his house. So he hears and
0: sees... Life as it ought to have been. Uh, like, l- life as it should be with an
2: ordered house, an ordered kingdom. Yeah, he has a never... A vision of the good life that he's never, mm, ever seen. He's never had a good male authority figure. <laughs> yeah. His mm-hmm. grandpa's sleeping in the fields. All the dudes bleeding his house are sleeping with the waitstaff. No one is a good example for Telemachus, and so yeah. he doesn't know what it means to be a king. Mm. So his travels are to establish him as, as the king. And so what he undergoes is something called paideia. Mm. And it pretty much means coming of age with divine help, yeah. right? Athena is kind of guiding him through this. In fact, she joins him on the travels oh. under the guise of someone named Mentor.
1: <laughs> is that where, the, where we get the word from? Yes, yeah.
2: actually. We, when we say he is my mentor, we are actually making a reference oh. to the Odyssey, right? We're saying that he is my divine Athena that is wow. bringing me towards adulthood. So he goes off and he's traveling and then we sort of... Leave him. And we know that he is going to return. And the suitors have planned an assassination. They think because he's threatened him. He's like, get out of my house. Mm. And they don't want him around anymore. They want to be able to get free stuff and like. just sort of poop around and not have to pay for anything. And so they say when he comes back, we are going to lay in, lie in wait and kill him. Oh, And so that's kind of set up. And then we hit book five. I'm sorry,
1: this is going to go saying, faster. So, so they don't resolve it by book four, so...
2: Uh, I don't think they do. Okay. I think that it gets resolved near the end of the book. I think it's a little so bit... So then it cuts back
1: to Odysseus. It cuts you know, back wow. to Odysseus.
2: Cool. And Odysseus is at the end of, of his journey, right? It kind mm-hmm. of jumps in media rays, right? Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of the action. And so we see him at his lowest point. He comes off Calypso's Island. He sails for a little while. He gets some help from a nymph that gives him a magical sea scarf. It's really unclear what the scarf does. My freshmen are always really confused by it. Like, he's in this storm. Poseidon is still really angry at him, and we kind of learn a little bit more about why later. Mm-hmm. It's it's said early in the book, but we sort of don't know the whole story. Poseidon hates him. He sends a storm, and he's just on a raft clinging to it. His raft is destroyed. And then, and then, then a nymph a scarf. pops up, and she's like, here, take this scarf. It will help you. He ties it around his waist, and we still have no idea what it does. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe she just wanted to flirt right, or something exactly. and then she says when you hit land you must avert your eyes and throw it back into the sea so it's like a s- magical sea scarf grenade that he has to chuck into the sea. <laughs> maybe it's like a flotation device like it's like oh, a buoy. if like you it, went back like into like the water just, yeah. yeah maybe I mean he still is like almost drowned naked he shreds his hands on some coral mm. which is horrible he's just having a bad time and then he chucks the scarf into the sea and we don't hear anything more about it That's that's all we learn <laughs> And then he takes refuge under this really weird olive bush. Now, Graham, you talk about one of the things we do in classical literature is when something seems odd or weird or impossible, or the author spends a lot of time on it inexplicably for seemingly no reason. Like, he spends four pages talking about, you know, a sea crab, there might be something going on there that we need to investigate. The things that are strange are the things that we have to investigate more. Mm-hmm. And he takes refuge under this impossible, physiologically impossible olive bush. Mm. And he he's kind of at the end of everything. He's tired. He's naked. He's at the end of his travels. And he piles up some leaves, crawls underneath, and sleeps. And the reason it's an impossible bush is because one side is domestic, right? It's a It's a cultivated... Olive bush that would be found on a farm, the other side of it. so it's like trimmed and pruned and trimmed and pruned and beautiful and, and, and you know, selected for its genetic properties. The other is wild. Huh. It's a wild bush. But they grow from the same root, which unless you have grafted a branch on, which no one would do on a random beach somewhere, right. this this plant cannot exist. So something weird is going on there, and they don't we don't really understand it until later. Mm-hmm. But Odysseus or Homer gives us this beautiful picture as he falls asleep. So he wakes up, meets a nice princess who's like, ooh, you cute. It's really awkward. They're like playing on the beach and he c- walks out naked and he's like, hello, please help me. And, and we find out that he's, you know, Athena kind of makes him good looking because yeah. she's still protecting Odysseus. Hmm. And the the princess is like, hey, oh, this, this, is a, this is a man. She can recognize that he is quite manly. And then she says, we can't go back to town together because me showing up with a strange man coming back to right. town probably isn't a good thing. So she sneaks him Especially in. Especially naked one. Right, right. And then there's like some songs and contests and they welcome Odysseus and he spends some time crying when one of the bards mm. sings a song about the Great War. It's actually really funny. Homer tends to write himself uh. into the novels somewhere. So he's this like incredible, so, he, he, he makes himself incredible in his story. Yeah. Well, every once in a while, like a bard shows up and
0: like there's this little musical interlude and all the heroes are like. Bards are awesome.
2: <laughs> you are the real hero of the story. And that's what happens. The Does, it bard does, does Odysseus sings say it. that? Yeah, the bard right. sings it. And then Odysseus, the master craftsman who invented the Trojan horse, who is maybe one of the greatest military minds yeah. ever, walks up and says, I respect no man on earth more <laughs> than you. Like, I respect you more than. He, he has been with Achilles, right. and he's telling this random bard, like, I respect <laughs> you. you more than anyone else. And so it's this great so little interlude. And then they ask Odysseus to tell his story, right? Mm. So he's in this strange kingdom, the Phaeacians, and they say, hey, where, where are you from? What's your story? And Odysseus is great at sort of weaving mm. tales, and he needs these people to help him. He has nothing, and so he has to paint himself well. So he tells the story of his journey from the, the end of the Trojan War to where he is now. Mm. And that's this is where the big story begins. It only takes four books, and I'll try to hustle through it. But, yeah, this is what we're familiar with. All right? So as he leaves Troy, the first thing he does is raid another island. He doesn't go straight home. He just stops and he's like, how about we kill some more people and get some more stuff? But he didn't need the stuff. He just wanted to. Oh, absolutely not. Great. He he is rife with treasure. He's got like 12 ships. He has the arms of Achilles that are beautiful. There's no reason he needs to stop. But hey, why not? We're making some war. Great. So they stop. They raid a town. And then they do the dumbest possible thing. And that's they don't leave.
1: They stay in the town? They
2: raid the town and then they hang out on the beach nearby, oh. kind of eating and feasting. And then the guys from the town go to other towns nearby, okay. raise an army, <laughs> and back. then attack back. And he has to flee and they lose, you know, they lose a bunch of people. Yeah. The next place is the the land of the Lotus Eaters. This is one of the more famous scenes. If you read Percy Jackson. any I haven't, no. No? I've had it recommended. but that is your reference, like this is the most famous thing, perhaps if you have read the
0: Percy Jackson. No, well, it's I'm popular. There's a yeah. scene in
2: Percy. Yeah, it's a popular kid's book. Yeah. And so this is where he, he there's stops. There's also like famous poems called, the, anyway, whatever. So yeah, eating the lotus has become since now, since then, Synonymous with sort of oblivion and the temptation Mm. of drugs and And never returning and Mm -hmm. sort of leaving the things you care about behind. So his men walk in and they find a bunch of people who are just eating these lotus flowers Mm -hmm. and they're sort of spaced out. And we find out that when you eat the flower, you forget about home and you Um, lose all desire to do anything. Wow! So he realizes the danger here that we could lose desire for anything, takes his men and even as they are crying, he like. Chains them to the rowing benches and forces them to row, which is a little bit of a better outcome than they just had <laughs> kind of, <yeah>. at the, <laughs> the other place. It's having a rough go. Yeah. Yeah. Then he shows up on the Cyclopsis Island, and this is the most, the single most famous scene mm-hmm. in the in the Odyssey. And he's curious, he goes into this cave, he wants to hang out and wait for a guest gift, which is traditional custom, mm-hmm. right? I show up, you give me a gift, and the next time when you come to my house, I give you a gift. Mm-hmm. What comes in instead is a cyclops who is lawless and says, you guys have been eating my food and now I'm going to eat G- you. Yeah. Rolls a big boulder in the way, eats a couple of guys, yep. wakes up the next morning, eats some more people, goes out to, you know, and then eventually they feed him some wine, mm-hmm. make him fall asleep. And Odysseus tells the cyclops that his name is Nobody. Mm-hmm. He's like, what's your name? And he goes, my name is How Nobody. Buddy. And then, so in the night after he's drunk, they stab stab the cyclops in the eye. The cyclops gets up rolls the stone away and then calls for help from his brothers, but he what he yells I'm for is,
1: nobody. <laughs>
2: nobody is has blinded me. Yeah. Nobody is hurting me. And they're like, then why are you talking? <laughs> and then they all ignore him. And Odysseus, you know, they he tapes all his guys under sheep. Mm. And then the sheep run out. And so the, the Cyclops <laughs> is feeling the sheep and all he feels is, is his flocks. Yeah. And so he doesn't catch any of the men as they run out of the <laughs> the cave. That's awesome. And then as they're sailing away As the Cyclops is mourning on the shore, and this is, I I spend more detail here because it's pivotal. He, Odysseus turns around and says, you know who blinded you? Odysseus, mm. Odysseus of Ithaca, that's the guy who blinded you. If anyone asks, it was me. And your own crimes come down on your head for eating his guests, which is not okay.
1: That seems like a bad idea to like give the name.
2: Does yeah, this, and this, his men also said it was a yeah, bad idea, yeah.
1: especially because... Like it's what, really arrogant. For yeah, yeah.
2: What happens is the Cyclops takes big boulders and chucks them at the great. ship and almost hits him in... One lands, like, just off the bow, and then his men are like, dude, shut up. (laughs) And then he yells again, and he's like, oh, you missed, you nerd. And then they they throw more rocks. And that moment of hubris, Mm -hmm. of folly, of saying, wanting to be well-known, wanting to be storied, Mm. well, it allows the Cyclops to get on his knees and pray to Poseidon and say, I have been blinded. And because the Cyclops is one of Poseidon's sons. Mm. He says, I have been blinded by Odysseus Odysseus of Ithaca. Please, please. Punish him for this. And that is what causes the remainder of Odysseus's troubles. He wow. would have just sailed home if he would have kept his big mouth shut. Yeah. But because of this moment of hubris and pride. He brought it on himself. He brings it on himself. Wow. So after that, they sail to Aeolia, which is the island of the god of winds. Mm-hmm. And he gives he bags up all of the three winds except one. Mm-hmm. So he leaves one wind And that's the wind that's going to blow them all home. So Odysseus has this bag full of three of the four winds. And he doesn't tell his men what's in it. They're like, dude, what do you got there? And he's like, you'll find out when we get home. (laughs) And he's really cagey about it. And eventually he falls asleep. And the men think think he's hiding treasure from them. So they open it and it blows them right. Like they were in (laughs) view of home. They could see smoke from the chimneys. They open the bag and it blows them all the way back to the island of the wind god. And he says... Yeah, get off my porch. <laughs> Clearly the gods hate you. I don't want to help <laughs> right, you anymore. Right. Get out of here. Uh, and so his troubles continue to compound. He stops at the land of the Lacedragonians, and they turn out to be giants and cannibals, and mm-hmm. they sink all of his ships but one. And then he goes to the island of Circe. And this, this is where he meets another He meets a goddess. Mm-hmm. She turns all of his men into pigs. And then he's, as he is trying to rescue them, he meets Hermes. Hermes gives him a plant that makes him immune to her magic. Mm. And then he says, after you, you know, avoid her magic, draw your sword and frighten her a little. And then she'll offer to go to bed with you. And you have to say yes. Mm. This is Hermes saying this? Yeah. Hermes tells him, you have to say yes to a goddess. I feel like Hermes is like a bored aristocrat <laughs> and god. He's like, and you know
0: what else you can do for fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well... It, you know, in in mythical history, it's always a really bad idea to refuse a goddess. Right, she's yeah, like, "Hey, point. we should get together." If you say no, she'll like turn you into a crab with right. broken claws or mm-hmm. something. It never turns out well exactly. when you don't do what the gods want. Yeah. So he scares her. She says, "Hey, <laughs> so I'm warps. very attracted to you." Yeah. yeah. Puts the men back together, and they spend a full year mm. in Circe's house. A year. Seems like a long like time. time. They don't need to spend a year. Yeah. Odysseus has a family to get home to. Yet he stays. And I think this is where we kind of learned that... We realized that Odysseus doesn't know what's happening at home. Mm. When he left 20 years ago, he said, you need to get a new man when my kid gets a beard. And it's been a long time. It's very likely that Penelope has remarried. His kid has never seen his face since he's been a baby. Can you imagine returning not knowing what's going on at home? So there's just big, like, family drama waiting for him at home.
0: And he's... He might dallying, and he's just, yeah. he's just uh, trying
2: other, he's just avoiding the the hard conversations. Yeah, I mean, even, even now, it's awkward to meet an ex that you maybe still love, and she's got a new guy, and you have to make her choose between, mm. like, it's just really complicated. Yeah. If he goes home and finds that there's a king in his place, he faces mortal danger, the king mm-hmm. might want to kill him. And he faces a wife who he's now putting in a really difficult position. He's got a kid that might be like, you're not my real dad. And yeah. I mean, that's not something you really want to go home to. And he's hanging out with a cute goddess. She's got lots of resources. She's feasting them every day. And I can see why he wouldn't want to
1: leave. But isn't it fru- like it's frustrating that he chooses to stay there instead of trying to get home. Like he doesn't want to own up or um, face all of those problems you're talking about. Like, yeah, I don't know. He's comfortable going and slaughtering villages and taking these treasures and stabbing cyclo- cyclopses in the eye, but he doesn't want to face his family. Like, I don't know. I think it's a very charitable reading to say that, like, he's worried about going home. But he's also, is he cowardly?
2: I don't know if he's cowardly so much as glory hungry. Mm. He's cosmopolitan. He wants to be known throughout the world. He wants to have seen the world. Yeah. He's interested in all these things. And sleeping with a goddess for a year is a good story to tell, I guess. Yeah. But I can, see, I can see where he's coming from. Do I ruin the punchline if we talk, go back to the olive branches? Uh, we'll return in a all little right. bit. All right, so he hangs out with Cersei, and eventually it's his men that say, Dude, we want to go, wanna go home. Right. We have families, too, and you are hanging out. And eventually he's like, oh, All right, I have to leave. And the morning that they're going to leave, they've, of course, gotten drunk the night before, and one of them is sleeping on the roof. <laughs> And he wakes up, and he's like, oh, i got to get out of here. And he forgets to take the ladder back down off the roof and just runs (laughs) off the roof and dies. Oh, no. And Odysseus leaves him without burying him. And we'll meet him in a a second. So Odysseus leaves him, and they go now to the underworld, Mm -hmm. which is where Cersei said, you have to go. She's like, to get home, you're going to have to visit hell, Mm -hmm. essentially. Did she give a reason for that? Because, I mean, they were almost home
0: before with the winds. Why is she like... Yeah, no, the real way you got to go this time, is, yeah. Know, this time you got to go
2: down. Or this she time you says go down. you have to go visit Tiresias, who is mm. a famous Greek seer. He's supposed to be one of the wisest men on earth because he spent time as both a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he, he witnessed the gods mating, and as a punishment, um, the gods
0: turned him into a woman, and then what? he would come back into a man. and then he'd be, he, So he would sort of frequently through his life flip back and forth between male and female, and really
2: gave him, yeah I thought it was just a one-time thing I th- my understanding was that he uh the gods came down and because he was wise they asked him who has uh, I'm sorry this I is think there's be a bunch, graphic there, there are if you're different. listening with kids you might want to skip forward 20 seconds but it was a bet between mm. Hera and Zeus about who had more fun in the sack mm. and he said I think he said men or or something one of the he, he offended one of the gods with his answer <laughs> and they so they changed him into flipped the other him yeah and then later he saw two snakes making love mm-hmm. and hit the snakes with a stick. But and then the they snakes were actually him. gods. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay, that was. what And it was. then that was where
0: he witnessed the gods mating. Uh, it was like real shiny, and it looked like <laughs> shiny snakes. No, he he came into this sacred grove where the gods made love, and he wasn't supposed to be there. And he saw what he describes two snakes, and uh, and then he and then the, the, the gods were really offended, and then turned him back. There's a couple of stories where he goes back and forth between the gods, between being male and female and male and female. Um, And uh, yeah, he
2: shows up a lot in... He's kind of all over (laughs) in the Greek world. So they need to go and visit him to get wisdom about how to get home. Because he's dead. And he's in hell. So he goes, Odysseus and his crew travels to the underworld. And how they get there, I think now, would be really vague. We would expect him to, like, jump in a hole in the right, ground because right. our understanding is that hell is down. Mm-hmm. For the Greeks, their cosmos was a big flat disk with the ocean river around the outside, oh. like a big hamburger wrapped in bacon. Okay. Right, The bacon is the ocean river. So, so they sail yeah. across the ocean river and they get outside basically the known realm. Where the the sun every morning would plunk, jump out of the ocean river, travel its course, and then jump back into the ocean Mm -hmm. river at night. So they are past that. They are in a land of always twilight. The sun does not reach them. So that's where he goes to the underworld. He is past the known universe, or at least where mortals usually go, and he's in the realm of the immortals. And he talks to Tiresias, the seer, who gives him a little news of home and says... You have to do a few things. You can't eat the cattle of the sun. You're not going to die till you're really old. And he gives him some signals about knowing his death is coming. So that sort of reassures Odysseus that the rest of the journey is not going to be dangerous. And he talks about, you know, says you need to curb your wild desire Mm. and the wild desires of your men. Basically, you're being rowdy. Just go home, you dummy. (laughs) He also meets Elpenor, the guy who fell off the roof, (laughs) and the guy who fell off the roof asks for a couple things. He says, please bury me, Mm. because if you don't, I have to suffer for the rest of eternity. So they have to go back. They have to go back to Cersei's Island, and also... Tell my story. <laughs> <laughs> so in my head, Elpinor is like the greatest frat boy right. of all time who's like, I died doing what I loved. <laughs> I partied. Make sure everybody no. knows that I was the hardest partier there ever was. <laughs> because if it was me and I died Please falling drunk no off a roof, I'd be like, you wrap that up. <laughs> this you never happens. it So that's yeah. kind
0: of interesting because in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, there is somebody who... Um, is I don't know if this is similar or if this is a, a, a an illusion, but there's somebody who's sitting on a windowsill listening to Paul preach a sermon, and he falls out of the window and um, dies. Um, and then Paul prays over him, and he comes back to, and he comes back from the dead. I know that there is um, that in the Luke Acts narrative, there are. Some classical scholars out there that think that there that the author of Luke Acts has the Odyssey also in mind a little bit. Um, uh, I, so I wonder if there's more to that story. Well,
2: there are. Uh, I think it's it's the, not the
0: Tetragram. It's the um, the name of Odysseus also gets used. Um, I think it's in Luke. The man of twists and turns. Yeah, the Luke. Act, so yeah. the
2: word that they use in Greek to describe Odysseus is polytropos, mm. the man and of twists and turns. Yeah, or at mm. least that's we how we translate it as either the man of twists and turns or the man of many faces. Mm. But that's not a complete translation. Yeah, poly is many. What's tropos? Uh, I think faces. Ways. 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 That's what. I, yeah. Many ways. And a better translation would be a man of many many's. Mm-hmm. He's so multifaceted. His facets have facets. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the way to think of him. He is. He's not just a jack of all trades. Uh-huh. Even in the trades, he is twisty and turny and knows what to do. But
0: it's a word that only gets used in the Odyssey to describe Odysseus. It's like they made
2: up a word for Odysseanness. Mm-hmm. And yes. when, <laughs> when the I think it was Luke, yeah. right? He uses that word to describe Jesus. Yeah, he Uh-oh. is not beating around the bush. Any Greek listener, any Greek le- listener that would have read that book immediately would have made the comparison between Jesus and Odysseus, mm-hmm. and he was intentionally making that comparison mm-hmm. and saying, you guys have this myth that you hold to be the greatest man ever. Mm. Um, buckle up for another <laughs> So
0: it would be it would be interesting to go through Paul's travels that have lots of shipwrecks and islands and these kinds of things and see if there are direct parallels between how the author of Luke, Acts, is talking about the gospel in, in Luke and then the journey of Paul in Acts and see if there, there are odyssey crossovers i've never done it i just know that that um
2: well i know the comparison with jesus was intentional that that, that it's out there anyway
0: sorry right
2: so he also talks to his mom because she died and you know how she died she was sad she was sad oh she missed him she's like i died from grief and your father laertes is about to meet the same Mm. fate he will also die of grief also your wife still single
0: (laughs) (laughs) or still married to you
2: yeah, still well, married sure. to you. Mm-hmm. She ha- Nobody has married her. Also, no one has usurped your place as king. Basically, he learns from his mother that there is still a place for him. Yep. At does he home. learn about Telemachus being like an aimless, Mumpy. fatherless, sad. No, but he does meet Achilles in the underworld. Like kid playing this his box is... in his basement for his <laughs> 20s. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And this moment, this meeting with Achilles, is a pretty big turning point for Odysseus because he goes up to Achilles and he says, Dude, Achilles. You are the greatest. You're my hero. You know, everybody thinks you're the best. Like, you must be killing it with the ladies down here, like ruling all over all the breathless dead. And Achilles says, are you kidding me? It sucks down mm. here. I I would rather be a dirt poor farmer slave wow. alive than rule down here over all the breathless dead, which is what I'm doing. Mm. And that flips Odysseus's ideas on his head because he has always imagined that glory was the most important thing, like getting glory even if it meant death. Mm. But now he talks to the most glorious man that has ever lived, and he says, "Man, it is not worth it. Cherish your life. Cherish the things that you have. Even being a farmer is better than this." And that would have been a paradigm shift for Odysseus that was unexpected. And then the next thing Achilles does is ask about his son. Mm. He says, "Do you know about my son? Is he okay?" And that. I mean if you were a father, you would immediately think of your own and then there's some he meets some other folks Ajax is still mad because yeah. Ajax mm-hmm. killed himself over something Odysseus did <laughs> so it, it, he's like, hey Ajax, what's going on? Ajax just doesn't talk to him he <laughs> gives him the cold shoulder and wanders off and then he sees Hercules and he sees some other folks and then he sees a big parade of women that would remind him of like it's some of them are virtuous, some of some not, but it would remind him of his own home <laughs> So the journey to the underworld is basically a realignment of Odysseus's perspectives mm. up till now he's been seeking adventure but he knows now there's a place for him at home mm. he will safely arrive that seeking glory is not all it's cracked up to be so it just sort of he didn't get any super great information aside from eating don't eat this certain set of cattle yep. but it would
1: realign the his values. So when he leaves, he
2: does revisit Circe's island.
1: Can I ask is yeah. in, in the uh, Greek underworld is there a, a split between like the good people and the bad people or is there like a or does everyone go to this same place?
2: It doesn't really go over that. The only thing that we see is that some people are tortured, mm. right? Tantalus is tortured, Sisyphus is tortured, the guy who pushes the rock up the hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tantalus is the guy who can't eat, you know, drink the water or eat the fruit that's right. over his head. He's being tantalized. And then we talk to Hercules, weirdly, who's there. He's like, you're here too? And Hercules is like, yeah, man. I think he's got like two... They explain it in a really weird way. But he returns to Cersei and only spends a day. She gives him a little more advice. He buries Elpinor like he should, and then he goes. And then I'll I'll try to hit the rest of this really fast. Um, The speed at which I'm going kind of means that I might not get to some of the other theories I was going to talk about today. We can do a part two. Yep. But then he talks to... He goes past the sirens. This is another famous episode where we always hear that... I think when they're depicted in popular culture, the sirens are always hot ladies, Mm -hmm. and they're always tempting him with sex. That's not the classical version of the siren. The sirens were bird ladies. They had the bodies of birds and the heads of women, and they would get you to the shore, and they would either eat you or you die of starvation. It's not a good Mm -hmm. thing for you, and the thing that attracted you was their song. And she, she, Cersei says... No one should hear this. Mm. You should all plug your ears and sail as fast as you can by. Plug your ears up with earwax. Do not listen. But I know you, <laughs> and you're curious. So if you have to listen, make sure that you, your men restrain you mm. and you tie yourself to the mast. So Odysseus, as they're sailing by, tells his men, he lies, and he says, Circe said I was the only one who was supposed to hear. <laughs> so he stops up all their ears and then ties himself to the mast. So he is one of the only people ever to have lived to hear the siren song and live. So they sail past the sirens, they go through Scylla and Charybdis. Are you not frustrated by this guy? Like, that's dumb for him to do that, right? The, just,
0: he's curious.
2: The way that I view Odysseus even now is he's kind of like that eighth grader that gets himself into trouble all the time because yeah. he's curious and he's rambunctious and he wants adventure, but is really good at talking his way out of it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I burned down the bookshelf. I was curious about what, <laughs> what would blah, happen. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, and he kind of he kind of talks his way out of it. He's that, and he's kind of lovable in that way. Okay, it's
1: just frustrating. Like, because um, I guess he has assured the safety of his crew by plugging up their ears, but like, isn't he yelling at them to avert course while the siren song is going on? Like, oh
2: yeah, he yeah. is trying furiously mm-hmm. to free himself from the mast, and he's weeping and crying and saying, "Free me!" and yeah. freaking out and trying to get to the sirens. But he said, "Whatever I say." Ignore me. Ignore me. But it's, and luckily, they have their ears stopped up when they the, couldn't. So they can really hear him anyway. Yeah. All
0: right, pop quiz, maybe. Um Where does that pop up in
2: Narnia? I uh, Do you know? I have no oh, is idea. This, this is quiz show. Come this back on your head. Come back. <laughs> no, I'm Except the only one who's just you, and it's either. <laughs> yeah, I'm competing
1: against myself. How does it
0: feel? Win uh, or be embarrassed. No, do, you know, do you know the. Uh, this now makes me want to do a quiz show on my episode. These, how, that Lewis uses a solution?
1: No, remember? I don't. Sorry.
0: So in Silver Chair. Uh there's the snake lady who uh, has gotten the prince um, uh, uh, um, hypnotized by hurt by the by the song and mm-hmm. by, and by like and every, I think it's when the moon comes out he has to be tied to a silver chair because uh, he says he goes crazy but and actually what happens is he gets his he gets his uh um his reason back oh. he's always crazy but when he's tied to the chair he gets his reason back anyway um it's another little bit of that allusion to um the seductive song and losing your mind and you know um how the things you can expose yourself to can can divert your passions so much that um that you do things that a rational normal person shouldn't be doing anyway it's so it's Lotus. Lotus. Yeah. yeah so,
1: mm-hmm. oh, so it is bad you're agreeing
0: I, I – so, I mean, he's an archetype, right? Like, all these characters are showing these types of people. Like, Achilles, the wrathful, glory-hungry quarterback of the football team who gets it and then looks back at his, like, state championship ring when he's 50 mm. and he's like – Was it all worth it? Was, all it, worth was it? it all worth it? Yeah. And then you've got sort of Aeneas in the Aeneid who's pious and good and always does the right thing. But it leaves but, bodies in his wake. But it leaves bodies in his wake and everyone – but – You look at him and you're like, wow, that's such a pious, good guy. But then you go and you look at his story and you realize like everyone – he sort of used people and he's uh, – and there's a trail of sadness. And yes, he's completed his mission but it's kind of this – he the thing that he creates is kind of this intense – Um, juggernaut of Rome Mm. that yes is glorious but also is a machine that chews through people and Odysseus is kind of like that and then sorry uh, Aeneas is kind of like that and Mm -hmm. then Odysseus is like this the the, the trickster talks his way out of things you love him you're frustrated by him you want him to change you want him to grow up but he he sort of feels like at some points he gets it and then at other points you're pretty convinced that he's just gonna get back in the boat and go off again and and you can never like Yes, he's trustworthy, but he's also his own man, and he's going to do whatever he wants, yeah. and um, he doesn't, like, he's wrestling with this being f- domesticated and being wild, and he can kind of do both at the same time. Anyway.
2: Yeah. We'll get yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. Because this, yeah, we're not there yet. Okay. So, a few more things. He he goes past Scylla and Charybdis, so quiz show. What, oh, dang. What is Scylla?
1: Is Scylla the whirlpool and Charybdis the something else?
2: Um, I think nailed
0: it. <laughs> Charybdis is the whirlpool, and Scylla is like the snake monster.
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a pair
2: of cliffs, and Scylla well is the snake monster. Mm-hmm. Okay. She has six heads that pluck dudes off boats and just chomp them and eat them. Bummer. And then Charybdis is a whirlpool monster whirlpool. Uh-huh. And so they can either he has an and you can try to try to go past because it only goes every once in a while, but you never really know when. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or you can just lose six guys. Oh and sail sail past skilla. so it's either only like six mouths.
1: Uh, does he choose the six mouths? <laughs> it's
2: either like all or nothing with. It's like Charybdis. It It's a roll
1: the dice, and if
0: you're wrong, you lose the whole boat, oh. or know for sure you're gonna lose six dudes,
2: but you make it through.
1: I don't want to make that choice. So. He picks Cersei Skilla.
2: says you have to do Skilla. Yeah. It's better to just lose six guys than lose the whole boat. Do they know? Do the six guys know? He does not tell his crew. Yeah. <laughs> he actually—it's yeah. really funny because she tells him, "Don't try to fight. Just sail as fast as you can. You cannot fight this. It's a dragon monster. Mm. You have no chance. Just sail through." But Odysseus kind—he kind of he takes her advice because he, when he when they're coming up on it, he goes below decks, puts on his armor, <laughs> and then comes back above decks. And his men are like, "Hey, man." Uh, Ooh, what's going on? Yeah. What's uh, what's happening? And I imagine he was just like, I don't know, just trying to get some air, to, <laughs>
0: just you know,
2: you know, just want to try on the, the, old, on the old, armor. old armor. And then all of a sudden, six of them get snatched off the boat right. and they get chewed. And he sails fast. And he says it's one of the saddest sights he ever had to mm. see because he had to make that choice. But I in the, mean, in the ancient he also world, sacrificed six of his people. Yeah, I don't know. In the ancient world, that becomes synonymous with like a rock and a hard place. Right. Mm. So if you ever hear he had to choose between the Scylla of blank and the Charybdis of blank, it's it's basically two bad choices. Right. Mm-hmm. Neither, yeah. Neither of them are good. And he sails through and makes it to the cattle of the sun, which... They were told not to eat. They were told not to eat, but they hit some doldrums. They're running out of food. His men mutiny, cause him to land. They eat the cattle. Mm. And it's a weird moment because the skins that they've taken off and the... The meat, the meat begins to moo at them Uh, and the skins begin to crawl around on the ground. It's very creepy. And he's like, that's a bad sign. And then the the God that owns the cattle is like, hey, Zeus, kill these guys. And he loses a whole boat and later has to go back to Charybdis. And he's it's like this action (laughs) scene where he's hanging on the branch over the giant whirlpool and he's lost everything. That's where his last boat goes. And then. Eventually, with nothing, he has lost all the wealth from Troy. He has lost every single man that he left, which means if you lived in Ithaca, you might be a little grumpy because he killed all the men from the island, and eventually he makes it to the island of Calypso, who is this beautiful goddess. She's one of the most tragic figures in all of antiquity. She sided with... Or she's the daughter of a titan. And when the gods beat the titans, I think she sided with the gods, which mm-hmm. is why they gave her mercy and didn't kill her. But they stranded her on an island and said, you can never leave. And you're further cursed is that heroes will land on your island. You will fall in love with them. Ugh. But they will never love you back. And they will always have to leave. So she is just consistently getting Man. her heart broken. Wow. It's the saddest um, thing. And Odysseus ends up spending seven years oh, come on. on Calypso's Island. Come on. And she is always wanting to sleep with him. And he does for a little while. And then eventually she offers him immortality. She says, why are you wanting to go home to your wife? Look how beautiful I am. And she does have lovely braids. That's how it always describes her. <laughs> She's got some hot braids. And I can offer you immortality. And I can offer you myself. What What are you lacking for? And he says, I don't know, I still just like my wife. (laughs) So he finally, he like weeps every day. He becomes a real big Mm. bummer. And eventually she gives him the raft and then sends him off after the gods say, hey, you have to let him go. And that is where he, Poseidon takes his final revenge, Mm -hmm. breaks his raft and sends him with nothing to the island of the Phaeacians. So now we're back to where he landed and met the nice princess. And tells the story. Yeah, so now he is finishing his story with the Phaeacians. And remember, that is where he sleeps under the olive bush. Mm. So that olive bush, if we can return, we didn't, we didn't understand what it was in book five. But now that we're through his journey, we see that Odysseus has a conflict between his wild side, his desire for adventure and glory and story and mm-hmm. everything, and his domestic side, his cultivated side, which is his desire to go home and be with his wife and his son. Now, he can't completely abandon his adventuring ways because he's going to need them. To return home he's got 114 (laughs) suitor he has to face but he has been favoring one side for sure he's been adventuring and as he sleeps under this olive bush what we see is the marriage of his two sides there's a lot of language that makes it seem as though he is dying and being reborn again the next morning he emerges naked right he buries himself with a litter of dead leaves and then sleeps in this small tomb underneath these branches And the olive tree is also associated with Athena. It's her tree. So it symbolizes her protection and his marriage, right? These two sides that grow from the same root, finally being so entangled together. And then he emerges as like the complete hero, right? He's ready to return home. He has learned his lesson. Adventuring is not worth it, but you can't leave that, but it shouldn't dominate you. So then he tells his story. He just wants to go home. Even Nausicaa says, hey, you want to get, you feel like marrying a princess? And he's like, no, I have a wife. I have to go home. So he's facing temptation all over the place. Goddesses, princesses. Finally, he returns home. Poseidon gets to take his revenge on the Phaeacians. He's like, I want to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And Zeus says, ah, just hurt them. Mm -hmm. And so he hurts the Phaeacians. They kind of deserve it because they'll help anyone, even if even if the gods hate them, what you're not supposed to do. So they're kind of being impious in helping Odysseus and helping anyone that happens across their doorstep. They get punished and he returns home. And over the course of the next few books, he pretends to be a beggar. He goes in in disguise. He has to lie to his wife. People start to recognize him. He cleanses his house after this big contest to show that he is still the hero we once thought he was. Just and a big
0: throwdown? down, he, you know.
2: Yeah, he locks yeah. everybody in the in the the hall and then just kills yeah. all of them. Then he makes all of the serving women that were sleeping around clean up their dead boyfriends, Ooh. and then he kills all of them. Mm-hmm. Wait, really? Yep.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. They, I think I skipped that part when we,
2: man, sorry. He has Telemachus do yeah. it. And oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, Telemachus, go take care of these cur- serving women, and does so he does hangs he say- them all.
1: Does Telemachus have any qualms? Like, oh
2: yeah, they okay. abuse Telemachus. They abuse Odysseus okay. in his own house. They okay. abuse Penelope. Oh, yeah. They are not good people. Yeah, right. They sh- and it may- it goes out of their way to show that the suitors have had warnings. Yeah, right. They are warned. There are omens that say like, you guys better get out of here. The gods are not pleased mm-hmm. with you, and yet they stay. Yeah, the the Odyssey is very clear that what they're doing is sinful,
1: okay,
2: and lawless. And the, the serving women have been raised and nurtured and cared for by the house of Odysseus, and they still sleep around, and they still abuse Odysseus, they yeah. still abuse Penelope, they are ungrateful, and so they they deserve what's coming. Mm. So he cleans, he cleans shop, uses his wild side, and then there's only a couple more things. I promise I'm almost done. We have the final meeting between Odysseus and Penelope. She doesn't know it's him. Mm. She he kills everybody, and then she's like sleeping upstairs. Finally, the servant, one of the faithful women goes up and says, Odysseus is home. You have to go downstairs. And she's like, oh, if only that were true. Mm. She comes down and she can't know whether this is Odysseus or a god in disguise because the gods play tricks often. Right. So she says, I don't know if it's you. She's playing real cagey. And it's this picture, like Odysseus is leaning <laughs> on a column. And he's like, "Ooh, girl, you're so cold. <laughs> and Telemachus yells, he's like, mom, why don't you welcome dad? He's here finally. And... And Penelope says, I, you know, I'm glad you're home. And then has, she says, if you want to sleep, I will have our servant pull our bed from our bedroom and put it in the hall and you can sleep there. And this is a test because only Odysseus would know that their bed is rooted to the floor. Mm. One of the posts of their bed is actually an olive tree that has grown into the ground. Wow.
0: Yeah. And isn't it like not just grown to the ground, but there's this. If I remember it, the image is like that: the 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 roots of the tree are in the actual just roots of the island of Ithaca. It's almost like this tree is um, the island itself. Like if the island could grow something alive, it would be this
2: tree that their bed is rooted to. Well, I'm not I'm not sure about that, but I do know that when it describes the bed, mm-hmm. it says that he built his bed. First, Mm. when he was building his palace, he built his bed. Because of this tree root. The Mm. tree root, he built his bed attached to that and then built the room around it and like the palace around around that. that. And I don't know about you guys, but when (laughs) I'm going to build a house, (laughs) I don't build bed first.
1: Hey man,
0: you spend so much time in bed. It's an important thing. you got to invest in a mattress, my
2: friend. (laughs) 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 This is our first sponsorship for the day. (laughs) Casper Mattresses. (laughs) (laughs) They're really comfortable, good for your back. Revolutionary technology. We don't actually have a sponsorship. What's going on? Yeah, but Casper, (laughs) if you're listening.
0: Call us. I hear that if you're not satisfied in 30 days, I'll take it
2: back. (laughs) Anyway. They have a 90% (laughs) satisfaction rate.
1: (laughs) It's good enough for Odysseus. It's good enough for me.
2: Anyway, she tests him, and he says, unless someone has changed my bed, there's no way you could do that. Mm. And... She, you know, is overjoyed. She realizes it's actually Odysseus, and she jumps on him, and they tell stories, and they spend the night. I think he probably doesn't tell her about Circe and oh, some of, of the other not. things. Yeah, yeah, he keeps that under right. his hat.
1: <laughs> the seven years calypso thing.
2: But oh, there's yeah. this parallel between the rooted bed, which, I mean, it's the marriage bed. It's symbolic of their marriage. And those roots go down to the, the go down in Ithaca, and their palace is built around it and the island around that. So it, it symbolizes their marriage as the center of all of life in Ithaca. Mm-hmm. The wholeness of this
0: relationship. No. Odysseus is a pretty, he has broken the wholeness many times throughout the book, but he kind of had to in a few spots. But he's he's come back. back And he's, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a satisfying repentance, but it's like, in some ways it is. And he's come back, and then then their their marriage of king and queen, husband and wife, the whole marriage bed brings health and peace back to the land Um, um, that had been gone when he wasn't there. To Telemachus, to his kingdom, to his servants, um, to his poor dog.
1: Yeah, Argos. Argos. Argos, the
2: dog. I I really want to talk about Argos. Yeah. I'm not sure we have let's enough do, time. Let's do another time. Anyway, keep going. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm anticipating. Sorry, I'm anticipating a part two. Of course, we're yep. gonna have Sounds to. Good. So yeah. we'll do that next week. Yeah. Uh, if I actually sequence these episodes correctly. <laughs> so he. That, that that olive bush that his bed is made out of harkens back to the two-sided olive bush mm-hmm. he slept under, yeah. right? That was the union of his two sides. And if there has ever been a domesticated olive bush, mm. this is the most domesticated olive tree ever, right? It is literally part of a marriage bed. It is the most domestic there <laughs> is. So once again, we have... It is, a, it is the domicile. Like, it has yeah, become the house. It is the house. And it is symbolizes, you know, Athena's involvement and in protection of their marriage, his ultimate coming back to domesticity and taking his home back from where it was and what we see through these few chapters is Odysseus coming into his own and like finally kind of growing up mm. and realizing what's important and at the same time his son is going through the same experience right at chronologically Telemachus and Odysseus have mm. been experiencing their coming of age stories at the same time yeah right? Odysseus is realizing what's really important, not adventure, home, son, family, wife. That is what really matters. And Telemachus is finally growing up and Mm. taking control. We actually see him correct his mother and say, mom, I got this. I'm in charge now. And she is, you know, now when that happened, a mom would be like, oh no, you don't. (laughs) I'm in charge. But back then you would want your son to grow and outdo his father and be strong and take control of his house And that's what Telemachus starts to do. He starts to insult the suitors and tell them to get out of the house and say that he's in control and he's got clear sense. And he's just he's really turning into the man he's supposed to be. So they grow up together. Right. And at the end of the book, they have to deal with (laughs) this unfortunate war that's going to happen because they just killed 114 people. Whoops. And those people have families. Yeah. And. All of those families get together and say, pretty much, we've got to kill Odysseus. A couple of them say, "Hey, what our kids were doing is not okay. Mm. They deserved what was coming." But a few of them said, "We gotta, you know, we are bound by law to right. avenge them." So at the very end, Odysseus is prepared to fight off all these suitors, and it's him and his son and his dad Laertes, ah, who is now awesome. sort of revived, yeah. and a farmer, and they're all ready to fight. And then Athena comes down and says, "Hey, stop it. Oh, peace. Now mm. everything is done." I will not allow any more fighting. And so at the very end of the book, the 24th book, we have peace. And if we take the Iliad and the Odyssey together, we've had 47 books of war and one of peace. Yeah. And so this is the primary example of deus ex machina, where a god comes down and solves all of the main, major conflicts. This is like the archetype of that, yeah. right, where the gods come down and say, finally, there is an end to all the strife. And usually that's kind of a bad thing to do for a writer but in greece like that was how to end this problem there was no other way to stop a feud like this uh, besides having a whole bunch of people die so she just says you got to stop there's peace now and the problems are solved that's probably true of like blood feuds
0: today like the only way that a, yeah. like a feud that's been going on for generations is some kind of like divine intervention saying stop it both of you like yeah know. Anyway.
2: gotta quit yeah <laughs> Just so like that. that's, that's the Odyssey, and I will next week walk through a couple of the theories about the Odyssey. We'll talk about Joseph Campbell. We'll talk about the Golden Bull. We'll talk a little I'm bit about Argos yeah. the dog and give oh, you a little more insight gorgeous. here. But now you have kind of an idea of what the Odyssey is all about. It's If you get the Robert Fagel's translation, it's kind of an easy read. Mm. It's, a, it's easier entry into classicism than the Iliad. The mm. Iliad's a little more inaccessible. This is easier it's a fun adventure story
1: you don't have to have read the iliad to get the odyssey
2: no if okay. you know a little bit of the background just that he's returning from war you can get the whole story cool. and you also get some i got one of my favorite things about all these stories is the great kid names mm. like i'm gonna name one of my daughters penelope after mm. odysseus's wife because she's so smart yeah and she's so clever and she tricks people all the time and she turns out to be this virtuous wonderful clever woman yeah and Uh, You're gonna name your dog Argos, isn't it? I wanted
1: to, but we ended up naming her Eliza and instead after Elizabeth Bennett. But I had wanted to I wanted to name the dog Argos. Oh there's a I mean you'll probably have another
2: dog eventually.
1: No, this dog's gonna live forever. I don't understand what you're wait, what? Uh Magby, have you never been
2: told about death? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Have you never been introduced to this (laughs) concept? To death? What?
0: Okay, do we... I always wanted to name dogs after famous theologians, but changed yes. their last names to for dog noises. So one dog would be Hans Urs von Bark. <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
1: so good.
2: Oh, my word. <laughs> that's one one dog I want. I'm trying to think of Are other there any other others? names like Kierkebark. Yep. Yes, yep, that's mm-hmm. good.
1: Um, Kierkegaard
2: dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs>
1: Uh, for some reason, what this makes me think of is our Twitter account, where, um, and Graham, you've been the main instigator on that one. And, like, all the people we're following are those hip-hop slash theologian mix-ups that we talked mm-hmm. about last Oh, yeah. Time, so did, we, did we talk about that? Yeah, we that talked episode? about it, but it's, like, the only people we're following are that. <laughs> okay, do we have any things we got wrong from previous episodes? We've never made a mistake, so I don't understand the implication.
0: Um, none that have been pointed out.
2: In in recent memory, which
0: is good. Which means that Catherine has stopped listening.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've listened to previous episodes, and especially in this last bunch, I was tired and I lapsed into a lot of verbal fillers, and I didn't enunciate well. And, some, and I, f- I feel like I sound kind of drunk most of the time, so if I put all of my words together and sort of slur them, I'm sorry, audience, I'm trying to enunciate better and make it more understandable, we're learning. We're yeah. all growing as
1: podcasters. Well, have it, I think I've told you all that I listen to all podcasts at two times speed and with a, a feature that reduces the silence in podcasts also, so I never know if there are awkward pauses, yeah, I never know if we sound like we're drunk or whatever, because it just sounds like we're chipmunks the entire time. So. That's- Try give that a try (laughs) if you want to fix for that.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. Good times. Well, yeah, this has been classical stuff.
1: Part one. Story time with
0: Hanenberg. Part one of the Odyssey. Next week, we'll come back for part two where we talk a little bit more about the analytical side of this and some of the theories of um, the hero's journey and all this other stuff that we've got cooked up.
2: We'll talk about Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and how it relates to modern time. So thank you for listening.
0: If you have any questions, comments, feedback, um, funny dog names mm. out of the theologians, please email us at classicalstuff you know, at veritasacademy.net.
2: Good memes mm. or Meme us up. funny cat videos yeah. or Dipley articles. Oh. Those 15, <laughs> 15 tweets from people who didn't know what they were doing. That's right. I'll you can love <laughs> those.
0: visit us at classicalstuff.net for, uh, to see the podcast and to see shining glorious pictures of us. Mm. And then uh, you can follow us on the Twitter at cool school stuff, <laughs> um, and uh, it's the same logo, so you'll know it's us. Um, thank you for listening, and yeah. we will catch you listening next time. No, we won't. Oh, we we won't know if you're listening, but we thank you that you are. Bye. Bye.